but without that initial experience of just, you know, we call it carrying the bag, so to speak, like ripping open boxes, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like building a Kraft mac and cheese display in, in back to school time frame and having kids come up and asking their parents for Kraft mac and cheese. I am super pumped about today for a few reasons. One, I actually know Kevin Zidron, who is the VP of Capabilities. You tell me if I'm blowing this, by the way, on the All title. Good. Okay. Um, so we've had a chance to like work together and, you know, full disclosure, doing some work with, with the team at Kraft Heinz. And, but really, you're like in the transformation arena, and we will get there. But let, let's start by the realities of Tobacco Road, which is where you learned it, and I'm assuming you're a huge Carolina guy oh. and, a, and a Ducator. Diehard Tar Heel fan. Diehard Tar Heel everything. My wife gives me so much flack for it. Um, actually went to the North Carolina Notre Dame game this past weekend. Great experience. Unfortunately, we lost in South Bend. Um, but Notre Dame is my second least favorite team behind the Dukies. Like, I just I can't stand them. I can't mentally get over the fact that Duke is eight miles down the road in a completely different world from us in Tar Heel Nation. Now, now when you actually stumble into to Dukies in work, does it bring you closer together or, or does it work against you? Oh, it works against us. It's, it's the initial, like, I'm giving that guy a side eye, like that individual. <laughs> why are they here? Like, I, I don't, I'm not sure how this partnership's going to go. Um, and we always have to hash it out. It always has to be the first conversation to get over that hill. Well, and again, I mean, so you're super loyal to, to Chapel Hill. Right. And and loyalty seems to be a theme. If you if you really look at your path to to, to the transformation team at Kraft Heinz, you, you you've been over there for what, over a decade? I think it's been 13 years now. Is that about right? Just about, which is uh, it's it's crazy, um, but definitely loyal to the organization, whether it's Kraft, Kraft Heinz, um, all of it. So get me from like. The Kevin who loved Carolina basketball, who studied journalism and communications to the role that you're in today. If you're, let's imagine that, you know, someone that's thinking about making a career change is or someone in college is listening to this. Like, how do you go from there to where you are today? Yeah, I wish I had like some provocative story that like at the age of five, I wanted to be a salesperson and, and sell food for a living. Um, but I actually wanted to be a basketball player, realized that probably wasn't going to work out. I know, I don't think this is on video, so people can't tell I'm like five, nine, five, ten, and I don't have a jump shot. So that dream was gone. Um, but when I went to school, I didn't have an idea what I wanted to do. So I did the typical college thing and interviewed in a wide range of, of areas. And it was 2009 where jobs were scarce. Um, and, and had a great interview with Kraft Heinz and loved the people I interviewed with and decided it's a great opportunity to work for a Fortune 500 company. And, and they were able to get me in Charlotte, which is a place I wanted to be right out of school. Um, so it was a natural fit just right out of school. Okay. And, and again, you go from Charlotte to where you are to like, talk me through that first job. Like if I'm like, I want to be in transformation when I grow up. Yeah. Does, how does that happen? Yeah. So um, I, I started just, you know, at the time, Kraft Foods and Mondelez were together. So, so for those not in the food industry, Mondelez has Oreos, favorite cookies, Nutter Butters, things like that. And I was stocking shelves uh, at grocery stores um, in the Southeast, traveling around and, and doing that um, and found a great passion for managing and, and working with people and interacting with people on a regular basis. 
and from Charlotte had an opportunity to uh, just move to Nashville. Had never been to Nashville, knew nothing about Nashville except where it was on a map. Um, didn't necessarily like country music either. So it was a tough sell uh, on me, but career-wise was the right move and, and went and managed um, Dollar General, which is a huge account in the industry, 10,000 stores. So it was, it was great visibility to the organization and really got my feet wet. It, it kind of being an entrepreneur and owning my own business at Kraft Heinz. Um, it was a high growth area for us. So it could be very creative. Um, and from there and had a great time in Nashville, moved to Chicago about eight years ago now, which is crazy. And going from the, the warmth of the South up to now the brutal cold and, and dealing with winters um, and worked in our headquarters. And I think working in headquarters in sales um, really unlocked a lot for me. Uh, I, I'm a natural learner and it gave me a, an opportunity to learn about our supply chain better, learn about our financials better, learn about different levers of growth and marketing that I never got in field sales. So when I was able to get that experience, it was critical in, in, a, in an area that I knew I wanted to spend more time eventually in my career um, and had the chance coming out of, of that role to lead our club business in, in Costco um, it, it, with a bunch of other different opportunities of learning a club business and working with harder retailers, different consumers, and just worked my way through. Most recently, I was a vice president of channels, which is my favorite area. It's, it's everything non-traditional that you can think of. Convenience stores, natural stores, club. Um, and I think just the, the merge of loving the internal aspect of the organization and understanding the inner workings, having an entrepreneurial spirit, um, dealing with a lot of these non-traditional accounts and having to find different ways of, of growing a business led me to the transformation office and wanting to make a bigger impact on the organization where we're headed. Well, I just love that you started like, like you're like, it started by stocking shelves. Like, you know, today everyone wants to just go directly to the VP or say, Where, where's my C-suite title. Right. And, and again, 13 years is a long time. So it's been a long time since you were probably in that role. And maybe it's been a long time since you were that person as you continue to evolve. But like, it's so great that you like, that's where you started. Like what I, I kind of felt like it was like college, like get into the school you want to get into. And then once you're in that school, find the right major for you. Is that how you kind of looked at it? hundred percent. Right. I think, I think it's so important to just understand the guts and inner workings of an organization. Like at the end of the day, VPs aren't the ones that are in the stores talking to the consumers, understanding what they want to buy. It's, it's your sales reps. It's the people at the ground floors. It's our category managers that are dealing with the interactions and, and issues of our consumers. Um, and it really gave me a firsthand experience of who the Kraft Heinz consumer is that really I take to, to this day and, and make sure that I'm putting the consumer first. Um, but without that initial experience of just, you know, we call it carrying the bag, so to speak, like ripping open boxes, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like building a Kraft Mac and cheese display in, in back to school timeframe and having kids come up and asking their parents for Kraft Mac and cheese. Like there's something to that, that just gives you a lot of faith and belief in what the organization's doing. And you carry that through. You know, I, um, you know, I've, I've seen people that suffer from what I call ivory tower syndrome. You know, they're so far away from reality. Like, well, the, the, they'll hide behind the data or they'll hide behind their team. And they, and they, they've lost touch with exactly that story of like the consumer. How do you like, you know, even in your position, right. Even now, you know, there's, what, it's 38,000 employees over there, this behemoth company. How, how do you, 
stay like on the front line with consumers. Yeah. I think, I think there's organic and inorganic ways. Like I still have a passion for going to the grocery store. So I think like there's in, those inorganic ways that I still like love to see how people shop, um, especially during the pandemic. Like I hate to say fascinating going, going into the grocery store because everyone was on pins and needles a little bit, but it was fascinating to see the shopping behaviors change in the consumers. Um, so I think there's those ways in organically and then organically, like I love getting involved when we do focus groups. Um, we still have the opportunity to, and even now it's a lot easier in a virtual environment. We've learned to do a lot of video focus groups, um, and seeing those reports and hearing directly from the consumers is, is paramount to the success and really gets the juices and ideas flowing for us across the organization myself. So thir- you're 13 years in, like, I don't know, like that's, that's a lot of time, you know, especially if you look at people today and they're. Lots of people are jobless. You look at the numbers right now; it's the highest people are leaving. It's like the highest number in 16 years. The rate yeah, of people leaving, bonkers. Uh, but you know, maybe it goes back to what you said. Like, if there's still a passion for the job, I'm just curious. Like, why do you stay? Yeah, I think you know. I always turn to like three three big reasons for me. Um, first is the people. Like I mentioned it up front, when I interviewed with Kraft Heinz, the people were just so welcoming. Um, you know, I, I majored in journalism and communications. I, I didn't have a business major and they didn't care. They, they liked me as a person, wanted to get to know me as a person. I wasn't just somebody on a resume that they cared about. And I think that set the tone for my entire career um, and continues to this day where everyone you work with wants to help you. Everyone you work with wants to be an advocate and, and give their best for you. Um, the, the folks that have worked for me always are asking, what can they do better? And it's just how we develop our people, um, how the leaders lead across the organization, that never changes. The names might change, but the culture of our people don't change. And I think that's first and foremost. I mean, hell, my wife, I work with my wife. I met her at the work. Like the people matter here. Um, you know, the second big piece is the organization's always given me an ability to learn and grow individually um, and, and give me professional opportunities that I don't think I'd get anywhere else. Um, they're willing to take risks uh, on individuals and, and pressure you and push you to, to places that you've never been. Um, I've taken a few jobs, this one being one of them, where there was no clear defined role of what I was going to do. It's here's your title and here's what we expect of you. You figure out what the, the pathway is and we're here to support you and we're here to let you grow and, and kind of spread your wings, so to speak. So I think that's the second piece. And the last is I, I truly believe I'm part of something bigger. Um, we talk about the power of we at the organization quite a bit, and we don't just talk it, we walk it every day. And I think whether it's something simple like feeding America, everyone eats food, and that's a tagline we wanted to to get across, whether it's supporting folks through the pandemic in different ways, there's always something bigger than just logging into your computer and logging off at night and answering emails. There's a larger purpose that's behind it. And those three reasons are why I continue to stay here and, and stay here with a positive attitude and look forward to the future. And you're in transformation. So, you know, again, I, I mentioned this, you and I have had a chance to work together over the last year and I'm sure you can't share everything of what's going on in the inside, but like, you know, you're this massive company, like talk a little bit about how transformation works there. And, and I imagine like if I had this podcast a decade ago, we'd still be talking about transformation, right? So it's like, what's different today than maybe a few years ago? And what can you share if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, for us, it, about a year and a half ago, 
um, new leadership coming in, new CEO, Miguel Patricio. And, you know, we had that reflection in the mirror. We, we needed to understand what, what was still working and what wasn't working and have that self-reflection in, in courageous discussion with ourselves. And what we knew is we had great brands. Like that wasn't an issue. We had our Capri Suns, our Kool-Aids, our Lunchables, our Kraft Mac and Cheese, Heinz Ketchup. We had great brands, um, but we needed to grow more effectively. We knew that we had a lot of tools and skills, but we had to upskill a lot of capabilities to make that a competitive advantage for us. And we had a big opportunity to just enhance our relationships internally and externally, like how we operate amongst ourselves and then with our, our retail partners and, and supply partners. So it wasn't that we were completely broken. We just had to re-engineer a little bit. So what we then focused on is, you know, this idea of scale and agility across the organization and really focused on four main areas. First being people with purpose and how do we rejuvenate our talent? We had a lot of talented folks. How do we rejuvenate it? How do we get new talent in? And then how do we bring that expertise to develop new ways of operating with ESG initiatives, for example? Second big piece was our consumer platforms and really driving that consumer experience to create growth. Um, we kind of lost that for a bit in how we were thinking and needed to put the consumer back in our growth plans through how we look at renovations, how we look at innovations, how we look at insights differently and, and digitize them. You know, the third big piece was our operations and, and how we operated, uh, no pun intended, um, in our supply network. Um, I think it was a great inflection point that it happened as COVID was occurring. And we had to drive different initiatives and integration and improve our planning, improve how we operate internally um, across, across the entire network. And then finally, it was our partner programs. How are we driving our partnerships with retailers differently? Create win-win solutions, create mutually beneficial growth, uh, we often say, in figuring out you know, our joint value plans. How do those become more robust and more long-term? Um, and then we need to fuel everything, right? That's kind of the inner circle. And we needed to surround it with the ability to be successful. So we wanted to be digitally enabled. We needed to improve our capabilities across the board. We needed to have different processes, ways of working. And you bring all that together and it's, it's truly magical what we believe we can do here. Um, and the other two things where we put the consumer at the center of all those pillars and we made sure that we were solving for the consumer. What are their pain and pleasure points and how do we elevate or eliminate them? Um, that's critical to the success. And then the last big piece, and I think where we're successful is we didn't put an end in sight. It, it's part of our five-year strategic plan, but we know the transformation isn't going to happen overnight. Um, which has given us the space in the transformation office to kind of have that far out focus and get our head out of the sand a little bit versus worrying just about the day-to-day -day and really focus on how do we improve the full transformation over, over the course of the five years. I mean, I'm overwhelmed to be honest. Like if you like, it's like, Oh, that's just so easy. These 18 steps to transformation. But I, I do really like the thought of the, like giving yourself permission to not have the answer and, and how big is the transformation team? We're small but mighty. We have a total of 16 people um, that work through this. Um, so it's a small but mighty tight-knit group. You know, and, and again, it's the idea that like you're all in this together trying to figure out, you know, how do you, how do you stay fast? And when I think about, you know, a lot of buzzwords, right? Like power we and, you know, importance of agility and putting the consumer at the center, but really like, like, how do you guys stay accountable to each other? How do you motivate each other? Like, how do you feel like you are moving fast and at such a giant size, all these other companies are trying to nip at you? Like, how do you do it? 
Yeah. I mean, I wish there was like a, a silver bullet that happens. I think uh, for us, it's continuous learning. Like we stood up and I think it was like 16 of us kind of looking around, like we're on a deserted island for the first time. Like, what do we do? Um, in, in the big piece, like one is making sure we're connected to the business. Like we're 16, but the business is huge. How do we incorporate the business to make sure we're successful? I think the second big piece is prioritization and having those difficult conversations um, with ourselves and with, you know, our, our, our superiors on what wins too much, too much. Um, I think oftentimes when you're in the business and just worrying about today, you don't want to look at the future because it's too much and you try to do it and you do it half ass. Like you aren't going to be successful, but this allowed us the space to have those discussions to say, there's too many initiatives. We need to reprioritize to be successful and you and give ourselves the space. I think the last piece is just open communication. Um, we're all learning together, which is one of the most fun parts for me. And it's really challenging ourselves, challenging the status quo and, and having that real life dialogue. That's not the, the cookie cutter, sugar coated, ah, everything's great. Like it's not, or else we wouldn't be doing a transformation and having that open dialogue. Sort of a zinger of a question. So let's say I'm running my mighty but small team of 15 and we're starting on this transformation journey, right? And like, you know, you're even growing or you're dying. There's no, there's no middle. Yeah. Right? So where do I start? Like what's the one, one place I should focus? Yeah. I, th- I think the starting point is always the self-reflection, understand where you are today and have that real life discussion. What do you do well and what don't you do well? And then you need to immediately follow it up with where do we want to go? Who do we aspire to be and surpass? Um, and that's a really difficult exercise at times, um, especially that first part to really understand where are we as an organization um, and have that self-reflection. And then I could hire your wife on the inside side to tell me where we're going. You could hire her. She, she'd uh, be a huge asset. Um, you know, she loves the company as well, but uh, no, definitely hire her. I'll, you know, we can, we can figure that out. Okay, perfect. All right. Look, just to, just to put like, when, when you look at the portfolio brands here, I, it's like my childhood, like coming to life. It's Kool-Aid, it's Velveeta, it's Oscar Mayer. You got all these lovable brands, Capri Sun, Heinz, Mac and Cheese, Lunchables, Grey Poupon. I mean, not, not a small portfolio of brands. And when you get that big, I'm always like, okay, as a whole, in your mind, do, do you like, do you believe that Kraft Heinz is a courageous company when you have all these established brands. And this is a, you know, I think for the listener, it's a tricky one because it's like, well, of course he's going to say yes. But but really, do you really believe that? I, I do. Um, I think, you know, I, I'd caveat it with, I think every, every individual and every company can be more courageous in, in how they evaluate their organization um, in, their, in themselves. But I think the transformation is a great example. Um, it's not easy to, to have that self-reflection and really have the honest self-reflection with yourself. So I think that's one great example, just macro wise of, of how we're courageous. I think, you know, the second piece for us is understanding what those brands really mean to our portfolio. Um, you know, you mentioned it, we have a lot of nostalgic brands. You, you talk about everything from Grey Poupon and that, and what that means to Kool-Aid to new brands like, um, colliders, which is a, a dessert, um, you know, we are partnering and licensing with Hershey's and creative roots, which is a, a coconut water. Like you have everything in between there and you have to have that courageous reflection of what do those brands stand for? How do we want to invest with those brands 
And we're doing that. Like, and those aren't easy discussions internally because everyone wants, you know, the big sexy marketing budget to, to grow the business. And the reality is you can't have that. Um, and, and we have to have those discussions. So I, I truly do believe we're courageous and, you know, can continue to be courageous. And that's going to be a large part of the transformation is kind of being comfortable, being uncomfortable. All right. And as for you, you know, let's bring it down to, to the you level. Do you see yourself as a courageous guy? Like, do you see like, do you feel like you're courageous? I'd like to, I mean, I, I do spend a lot of time with some dookies. I think that's pretty courageous. Um, but, <laughs> but seriously, I think um, for me, the biggest piece is to get out of the comfort zone. Um, but I have a lot of faith in my abilities. I, I use that in, in previous knowledge to, to drive where I want to go with the business. And I've taken some risks. Um, you know, I mentioned a couple earlier, moving to Nashville without ever living in Nashville. I have no idea what to expect or anything. Um, you know, taking jobs that were undefined and just trusting that my abilities, uh, my leadership, and, and more importantly, the leadership above me that that's telling me this is a good idea. Like it's courageous to make those, those decisions um, within the organization. And then the last piece is just, you know, we're in an environment where no one knows a lot of answers, right? We're still figuring out what, what does post COVID world mean in the CPG industry? And you're having to take some risks um, because you can't wait for the answer. You have to kind of make your own assessment and go now. You used a few of my buzzwords in there that I wanted to kind of pluck out. You know, I always, I always say the definition of courage is knowledge plus faith plus action. And it has to be all three. So in the spirit of, uh, you know, let's get a little vulnerable here. So like, is there, is there a time that you can remember in the 13 years you've been there where like you had the knowledge to do the right thing for the business and had the faith that it would work, but for whatever reason, like just couldn't pull the trigger, like just couldn't take the action that you needed to take. Yeah. I, you know, I, I said it before, I think, you know, while I think I am courageous, everyone can be more courageous and a hundred percent internally and externally. Um, I remember times going into a negotiation with a retailer and knowing exactly what the play was, was confident that it would work and then kind of caved, um, prematurely. I, I know times internally where sitting in a meeting, a large group meeting, um, with a lot of stakeholders and everyone's going one way. And I'm like, that just doesn't feel right. And, and know that the, the other way is the answer and, and being timid about that. So I think it's, it's something that we all struggle with to be that hundred percent courageous person all the time. And isn't it amazing? Like these are the things that we remember. Like we remember those moments sitting across the table, negotiating and realize like, Oh, I caved. I, how did I cave? Why did I cave? Oh, a hundred percent. Like, and those are the, the vivid ones. Um, you don't remember the times that you're like, that was a great negotiation. Like I, I love sports and I always use that analogy. Like you always remember the games you lose. You never like really remember like, Oh, I had a great game. It's like, no, I remember the time that, you know, I went Oh for four with three strikeouts. Like that was a terrible day, but the day you had three home runs, you don't remember that too much. Um, and it's the same in business. Like I, I can remember the last month of like a handful of times where like I left, I'm like oh, that meeting, I didn't do what I needed to in and could have made a different decision and should have made a different decision. Do you, why do you think it's so hard? Like in that moment, like what, what's the holdup you think? And I think 
I think people inherently are afraid to be incorrect and, and afraid to be vulnerable in, in that situation. They're afraid to have all the eyes on them and that idea doesn't work, especially in a group setting. You're like, oh, it's easier to just go with the consensus. At least if it's wrong, 20 of us are wrong versus if it's wrong, one of us are wrong, regardless of you're the expert. Um, I also find it fascinating. Like sometimes it's only like there's 1% doubt in you and that chooses you to make a different decision. And it's like, you forget 99% of you is like, that's a really good decision to make. And it, the 1% outweighs it somehow. Um, so I think it's just that self-doubt. You know, over that, this, this 13 year run for you, and I'm sure you've had, you've known exactly what to do and you've had self-doubt and other times, has there been, like, have you ever like declared a mentor at the, at the company? Have you had a mentor over there? Yeah. I, you know, multiple, um, you know, luckily for me, my, my main mentor is my manager right now. Um, she's been fantastic and, you know, balances that manager mentor relationship very well, but I've had multiple across my career and find just tremendous value in them, um, both personally and professionally. Has anybody like come to you yet and been like, Kevin, will you be, will you be my mentor? It's sort of a weird thing to ask somebody, isn't it? It, it is. It, it actually is. Um, ironically, like just, just this morning, one of my mentees reached out about something and, you know, I always thank them when they reach out. Cause I'm like, you're being vulnerable. Like you're asking for help for some reason. And I think that's, you know, we always talk the first step is like admitting you have a problem. Like it's a huge first step for folks in the organization um, and very uncomfortable. Like I'm asking someone for help. Like, and then I'm going to share and ask them for their feedback. And I'm going to really do something with the feedback and I'm, I'm wasting their time. And they, there's so much self-doubt even in that, um, but so much value. And I, I love being a mentor to folks and feel it's a value add I have to the organization. Uh, I love being creative and I love, uh, I love, like I like to say, I, I love that I'm not just, I don't see myself as a business guy and I don't just see myself as a creative guy, but a, but a creative business guy. And I love living in that arena. That's like that middle space. And every once in a while, I try to get around to like writing business haikus. And so I've got a few that I wanted to share here. And uh, just so the audience know, I, he doesn't get to see them early. He's responding in real time. And so I got three for you. And, and I try to hit the sign of the time. So so here's the first one. You ready? All right. Let's go. Okay. And remember, it's 575 for those haiku fans out there. Calendar syndrome. Zoom meeting after meeting. Your think time, no, no. Oh my gosh. So relevant. So relevant. It's, you know, what's been fascinating is, and we, I, I think about this all the time. I used to get up, I'd go for a run, and then I'd have about an hour commute into an office between walking and subway. And then I'd have that same hour on the way back. And that was my time. I could turn on podcasts like this. I could read. I could do absolutely nothing. Now I have a zoom meeting at seven 30, almost every morning because I'm accessible and everyone knows I'm accessible because there is no commute anymore. Um, and it draws fatigue. And then you have to get on video too. Cause it, like now we're a year and a half in, you, you need to be on video. You can't take your video off. Um, it's a huge drain. Like calendars always booked. Like it, it's very difficult. That's been a, an interesting pivot. I wonder if there's a way to like actually put on your calendar mental commute 30 minutes at the beginning of the day and 30 minutes at the end of the day. I, I love it. Um, I think time blocking is a huge, like that's a skill in of itself is how to time block. Um, I love that idea. 
Yeah. Cause we, we laugh all the time. We did the math. Uh, me and um, one of my peers did the math, like how much time are we giving up here back to the office? And then when we go back, what are the expectations? And I think those are real conversations to, to be had. Yeah. The, the one thing I used to be very wary of in the office was the, someone would show up at your door and be like, do you have a minute? And, you know, it was like, uh Oh, <laughs> do I have a minute or do I have 45 minutes? But <laughs> Right. But like in those little moments, those little collisions is where the good stuff happened. That's where the the big ideas came out of where and now it's like you're just so blocked off every 20 minutes, 30 minutes, meeting, meeting, meeting. Are we have we become too transactional in the way we work? I think so. Like we call them drive bys. Like I loved in the office drive by. Um, I'd go down, you know, when I was in sales, I'd go to the business units and just walk around and whoever wanted to brainstorm and, and chat and like have an actual conversation that time that was informal. Like I would do it an hour a day and I found so much, so much to it. And, you know, there's such a formality in the zoom environment where you feel you have to put time on and then you have to have an agenda and you have to have all these things and you're losing some of that informal, you know, kind of more personal touch. All right. This next business haiku is kind of in line with that first one, but it's sort of higher levels. All right. Is remote work real work from home is work from work remote work is real. That's deep. That's deep, Ryan. That's what I'm here Uh, for. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I, I'd say remote work, like from a literal sense, it's real. Like I think people are getting it done. Um, I think what's, what's missing is the personal touch. I I really believe there, there's something to that informal, you know, just the brainstorming or even the days where like you need a break. Like I have nowhere to go. Like, you know, we talked earlier, if I go talk to my wife, she's dealing with the same stuff at work that I am. So that's not real, real. And, you know, can't go with a friend to grab a coffee. Like you could at the office or or meet friends downtown that work at somewhere else for, for a quick lunch. Um, And I think that that environment's kind of going down. Um, You know, we're, we're going to do a hybrid model when we go back, which I think is a great solution to kind of strike that balance of, the freedoms and and space you have working from home, as well as the interactions you get live um, at an office. So I'm excited for that, but it's, it's definitely the personal touch that's been missing. So if you had to break down the 38,000 employees, what percent do you think is like, I love this new life. And what percent are like, when is this thing over? Such a good question. Um, I think the balance is going more towards like, when is this over a little bit? Right. I think everyone's kind of feeling it, Um, you know, on my team, like we go back to, you know, we talked about always being on video. Like they asked me, do I have to be on video? I'm like, I don't know. Like if you're present, like I'm, I'm cool. Like whatever you need. I used to call everyone by a phone call and didn't even think of zoom. Um, So I think that seeing those little moments happen is kind of giving me the hypothesis that more folks want to kind of get back in the office and, and go back to that more collaborative work style. All right. Last business haiku of the day. You ready? I'm ready. No diversity. Here comes your adversity, a fail recipe. Again, very profound. And I think spot on Um, in one of the areas is an organization, you know, we're tackling head on is diversity and inclusion. Um, and we talk diversity so, so much, and it's diversity of thought, it's diversity of color, diversity of religion, all of that encompasses for us, um, you know, and talking about biases, we joke about Duke, 
um, up front. But transparently, I recruited Duke last week, and there are some great candidates out of Duke, and it's removing that biasy um, for us because um, that's diversity for me. Um, and then more importantly, how do we make sure that everyone feels included in the environment? You have multiple people um, with different backgrounds, different beliefs. And I think, you know, we do a great job with our BRG business resource groups um, to get people involved and, and feel like they're part of something larger. And, you know, I'm part of a couple and like, there's some of the best sessions I have just talking with our employees and, and engaging with our employees of different backgrounds. So it's high on our radar and we're doing a lot um, across the organization to make sure, you know, that agenda is fulfilled. Kevin, absolutely loved having you on the show. Would love, would love to end with two real quickies. First, you know, in your, in your mind, like how important do you think it is now today for companies to be courageous? Let's start there. I think it's paramount. I think it's absolutely paramount for, for every company um, to become courageous. And, you know, for me, the biggest piece, like, there's a simple side of the competitive side in you. That's like, you're going to have to be courageous because there's so many folks in the industry um, and you're going to have to make some bold choices. But I think the second piece is it's fun. Like it is fun to be courageous at times as uncomfortable as it is. It's fun to go, you know, make those leaps, you know, take a little bit of a risk, um, but trust yourself that it's going to be successful and move the needle. Part B of this one, you know, because I, and I, and again, I, this is, I'm privy to some of the conversations we've had, you know, you're not like a high level theory, like, like you like practical processes. So like, how do you processize courage? Is processize a word we're going there? Processize. Let's add it in. I, I okay. like it. Um, you know, I think what you need to do is give space. You know, one of the things we, we do is we give a lot of space for for thinking, brainstorming, to have those ideas. I think the, the second piece is when we, we go back to our priorities, when you talk about the priorities, it's challenging the status quo. It's as a leader questioning if we're getting the most out, making sure you're creating that space. So one of the exercises I like to do is I don't like to speak first in a meeting. I love to give my team and the business the opportunity to answer because I know you know, nine times out of 10, they're just going to try to appease me right or wrong. Just like I'm going to appease my manager nine times out of 10. But if you let them generate the ideas, that's putting it into practice, them making those courageous statements, courageous decisions that we can then go act on. And then by the end, like, I don't have to say anything. It's awesome. Those are my favorite meetings. All right. Take us home. Any final words of wisdom for those who've sat around for the hour? You know, first, thanks for having me. Amazing time. And thanks for everyone listening. You know, I think especially in this time, the best advice I have is, you know, take time for yourself. You know, the easiest thing that to do is log in, log out, have dinner, do some family stuff. And then before you know it, you're in this rat race of waking up and doing it again. Um, I think it's critical, like whether it's five minutes, an hour a day, just shut it off and do something for yourself that you're interested in. Um, I go for a run every morning. That's kind of my thing. Don't worry about emails. I don't worry about anything my wife needs from the grocery store, that's like my time and it's the most valuable time for me. So, you know, I think that's the biggest piece is just take time for yourself and enjoy it. Now, do you look at your phone right when you wake up or do you wait till after the run? Wait till after the run. Yeah. Cause then it, it sets a bad tone. If I get the email that's late at night one, I don't want anyone emailing me at like 10 o'clock or past that. Um, but secondly, like there's nothing I'm going to do about it then. 
Like it's just going to set a bad tone. So, so turn it off until the run's done. Yeah. My hope is that uh, somebody right now is just coming to the end of their run when we've been in their ears and hopefully they learned something today about how you take this big BMF company and these big problems that you guys have and be a little bit more agile and still continue to think about here tomorrow. Kevin Zidron, thanks so much for joining us, man. Great to see you. Thanks, Ryan. Awesome time.